0: Well, we've been going through a series about continuing, and this morning I want us to go to John chapter 15. And we're going to look at another area in which God commands us to continue. And remember, most of these are in a form of a command. John chapter 15, and the word continue used here in this passage, again, is the w- Greek word meno, translated abide or, and continue. Okay, so you see it translated two different ways here in this passage. And again, the word has the idea of remaining, dwelling, or feeling at home. So we've seen that we're to continue in the things we have learned. We're to continue in the word. But today, I want us to see that we're continu- continue in the love of Christ. Continue in the love of Christ. Abide there. Dwell there. Feel at home there. That is so important for us to grasp, Christian, to be abiding in the love of Christ. Years ago when we were at Bethel Baptist Church, one of the pastors there, they had a very large pastoral staff because it was a church of 1,300 people. So they had a guy who was over missions, one that was over Christian education, one that was the associate pastor, and I forget what the rest of the positions were, but they had a large pastoral staff. It was a guy with missions because they had their own mission board. I was talking to him one day, and he goes, you know what you need? He says, you need a good dose of John 15 and learning just to abide in Christ. And I looked at him like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I went and studied it. And I want to share with you some of the things that God taught me in that as we look at continuing in the love of Christ. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, Jesus speaking, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman, or the farmer. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples." As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue, there's the word, abide, dwell, remain, ye in my love. Verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So here's how I want us to examine the concept of continuing in his love this morning. First, we continue his love by drawing near to him. And we'll see that in verses 1 through 8. We continue in his love by drawing near to him. Secondly, we learn uh, that we continue in his love by doing as he commands. We continue in his love by doing as he commands. We'll see that in 9 through 11. Then we continue in his love by demonstrating his love to the brethren. Continue in his love by demonstrating his love to the brethren, and we'll see that in 12 through 14. So let us ask God for his guidance, please. Father, we again thank you for your love for us. Thank you for our dear Savior. May we learn to abide in him and in his love. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's see the first point, drawing near to him. You see, Jesus is the vine. Now, we're not talking the vines like have been growing in my backyard. We got a fence line between us and the neighbor. And last winter, Susan and I cleaned all the vines off the fence But the neighbor doesn't seem to mind the vines crawling all over the fence. So guess what happens during the summer? And we're not talking, you know, the nice stuff. We're talking the stuff with the big thorns that like to reach out and touch you and grab you snag you. Well, it starts to get all over the fence again. And so is the poison ivy. And I got proof of that right here. See? But anyhow, we went and we picked all that off. That's not what we're talking about. This is more talking like a grapevine, okay? And so you get the main vine, and then you got all these branches, and then the branches produce grapes. Can the branch produce grapes if it's apart from the vine? No. It has to be in the vine to get its life, right? We know that. It's very simple. But, you know, many times as Jesus taught, he used very simple things that we could observe to help us understand spiritual truths. And so in the same way that a branch must continue in the vine in order to be able to bear fruit, so you and I must continue in the vine, Jesus Christ, in order to bear fruit. Now what does it mean to continue in Him then? What does it mean to dwell in Him, to remain in Him? I thought once I was saved, I'm always saved. Is that not true? Okay, so what does it mean then to... Continue to abide in him. Work at it to make it better. Any other thoughts? Keep learning. Continue in the word, which we saw last week. And in prayer, which we'll look at later. because That's another command, continue in prayer, so that you can know the Lord better. Any other thoughts? Become more like him, less like the world. Now, let's use, many of you in the room are married, so let's use you and your spouse. When you are trying to please your spouse, trying to, to help your spouse grow in the Lord, you're trying to provide, you're trying to do the right things, you can be together comfortably, right? But when you do something that you shouldn't do, something that offends your spouse, something that whatever, you're not comfortable there, right? For, until you get the matter settled, till you get the matter right, there's tension in the home, right? Everybody agree? so it is with our relationship with Christ that, and this is what he's saying. If you demonstrate my love to others, if you obey my commands, we are dwelling together. But when I'm disobeying Christ, am I at home, if you will, going back to the meaning of the word, am I at home with Christ? No, because I know I've done wrong, right? Until I get that matter settled. And so, It is all these things that you have mentioned kind of wrapped up in one because if I want to continue in a proper relationship with him, then I need to follow him. I need to obey him. I need to demonstrate his love toward others. I need to do those things that he's commanded me to do so that I can dwell comfortably with him so that no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I can continue to practice the presence of Christ with me at all times because he is. And so there's nothing I should say, nothing I should do, nothing I should be listening to that would offend Christ because I'm dwelling in him. Does that make sense? If we would do that, I believe it would check off a lot of things in our life. As a matter of fact, I had somebody recently talking to me, saying something about that whole idea of, you know, if you keep practicing the presence of Christ, there are certain things in life that you just like, you know, I don't think Christ would be pleased with this. That's the point, folks. If he's not pleased with it, then why am I doing it? So the branch, verses 4 and 5, can do nothing without the vine. If you take a, uh, a branch and you cut it off from the vine or a tree or whatever, the branch is now dead it's not going to bear fruit again you can't take a branch cut it off the tree my wife and i were trimming the cedar tree in our front yard because it was growing up close to the house and uh touching the front house so i grabbed my little chainsaw and i cut off some of the branches and she goes "Ooh, this one looks really cute this is right before christmas So she has me get a bucket and put the branch in the bucket and stick it on the front porch so it looks like a tree there. You know what the problem is? It had no roots. It was not a tree. It was just a branch stuck in a bucket. And after about a month, it looked like a branch stuck in a bucket. (laughs) It did not look like a tree anymore. Kind of like your Christmas tree. You know why you throw it away? Because it's dead, and if you left it up, like one guy I knew used to leave it up till Valentine's Day, and I always was worried his house was going to burn down because the branches were so dry and the needles falling all over the place by then, but he refused to get rid of his tree. Apart from the life-giving vine, it is dead. Now, I am glad Jesus is not talking about us being out of the family, as a, as a born-again believer, right? We can't lose our salvation. But, you know, I can live as the dead world lives, apart from Christ. It is amazing to me what Christians, apart from God, a backslidden Christian or a carnal Christian, are capable of doing. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. The strength we need comes from Christ. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Because just as that branch is getting its life, getting the water, getting the nutrients it needs through the vine, so you and I are getting that life through Jesus Christ. Because my strength is not sufficient. 2 Corinthians 3.5 Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We need to realize, I am not self-sufficient. I cannot do anything without Christ. I've said before, the problem is, is there so many things we do because we've made it more in many churches more program-oriented than Christ-centered that you can go to church and all the programs can just go right on, but is there really any power of God working? It's a scary thought being a pastor realizing that if I am up here apart from the Holy Spirit, this is a vain, worthless exercise. Because I can do nothing. It's the working of God that matters. And if the Holy Spirit isn't here working in our hearts, working in our midst, this is all in vain. But I'm glad in my weakness His strength is made perfect. Paul says in Second Corinthians 12, 9, 12, 9 and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, why I rather, glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, that we could uh, uh, understand that attitude that Paul had, that even in our infirmities, we can praise God and say, may the power of Christ be shown in me. When the branch is abiding in the vine... The fruitless Christian is not abiding in him. Verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. But the one abiding in him will bring forth the right kind of fruit. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, hold your place here in John, and let's flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we sing a song from this passage at times. But I want us to examine this this morning in light of what is he talking about about fruit. Let's start in verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Is that not obvious in our lives? The flesh desires to be wicked, lazy, slothful, debauched. The Spirit wants to please God, live separated, holy, and so forth. Verse 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, other such like, of which I tell you, as I tell you before, and as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the works of the flesh. Now, the Bible calls them works of the flesh, but I'm going to call them also the fruit, if you will, what, what What the manifestation of the Flesh. When the flesh is in control, these are the things that are going to be seen in one's life. By the way, Christian, just because we have been born again, unfortunately that old man has not been eradicated. Now, there's a preacher in Tennessee, and some of you might have heard of him, and he actually is an ambassador grad. Anyhow, he says in his church that... A demon told him that there were six witches in his church. I'm sitting there thinking, wow, real good, reliable source of information listening to a demon. And what are you doing listening to a demon, anyhow? But the point being this, and by the way, if you are following Greg Locke, just stop. Okay? I'll just say that much. You say, wow, you call him out by name. Yes, because if Greg really thinks that his information should be coming from a demon, He's got a problem, exactly. Okay? But here's the point. There are some who believe that you can somehow mix witchcraft and Christianity. You cannot. Witchcraft is of the occult. It's from Satan. It's wicked. It's abomination against God. And it does not belong in Christianity. Remember in the Old Testament, the passage, and it used to confuse me, but I see it happening more and more around us, that they worship God and their own gods This is what we see happening in Christianity today. That, okay, let's take the rest of the list. How many churches truly preach against adultery anymore? Shacking up has become the norm. Fornication is normal in our society. But it's still wrong against God's word. But Christians somehow have Christianized it into thinking that it's okay. I have had some of the craziest excuses from Christian couples living in sin... Of why they think it's okay for them to live in sin and I'm like no well we feel I said I'm not trying to be mean but your feelings don't matter what matters is the truth of God's Word we could go through most of this list and it's amazing drunkenness how many Christians today think it's okay for Christians to drink I heard I haven't confirmed this, but I heard there's a church in Moorhead City that meets at a bar and has beer while they're preaching. This is insane, folks. I'll tell you what. I don't know how a holy God can let people sit there and mock his name in such a way. I'm glad he is long-suffering, aren't you? This list has no part in our lives. By the way... My wife and I are working uh, part-time for Susan B. Anthony List again, and uh, that's where you go knocking on doors, talking to people about um, pro-life issues, okay? So it's interesting to me how many claim the name of Christ who think it's okay under certain circumstances to murder the baby. I talked to a man just the other day. He said, well, you know, if the woman was raped, I don't think she should have to carry that baby, blah, 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 blah. And my question to them always is this. Is it fair that the baby should have to die because of the parent's sin? I never thought of that way. How do we get so convoluted in our thinking? I'll tell you what it is. We are not abiding in Christ. We're not thinking like Christ because we're not walking with Christ. If we want to think like Christ, we need to be in his word. We need to be praying. We need to be walking with him so we can think like him. Because the old man does not think that way. And it's, it's, it's permeating Christianity today of all this list. I can go through every one of these and name you instances of almost every one of these you see happening by people who claim the name of Christ and it's wrong. Well, let's go to verse 22. Let's talk about something good for a while. But the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so if I'm abiding in Christ, right? I'm getting my life from the vine. I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He truly has reign in my life. This is what should be coming forth then, not from me, but from the Spirit in me, from the life I have in Christ. But I'm abiding in Christ, continuing in Him. What people should see is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. You say, well, I don't have those qualities. Then maybe it's time to look and say, am I abiding in Christ? Now, I understand every one of us has that old nature, and every one of us has the tendencies to sin, but that doesn't make an excuse for us to. We need to realize that is a weakness of the flesh and surrender that area to the Holy Spirit of God and allow Christ to to change us into His image and abide in Him. So the works of the flesh, when we're trying to do it our way, the fruit of the Spirit is a result of of abiding in Him. Let's go back to John. Here's a reason for abiding in him and bearing fruit. Herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. I still don't get, I can't get over the fact that when I simply obey God and do what he wants me to do to live a wholly separated life unto him, that it glorifies him. It brings him pleasure. But I want to please him. And that should be the desire of each of our lives, is to please God. And so the way we please him is by obeying him. Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. You see, the glory belongs to him, not us. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works And tell you what a wonderful person you are. No, but that's unfortunately how too many Christians live. And why I already mentioned his name, part of the reason why I, besides the fact that he thinks he gets his advice from demons, I'm against Greg Locke is because I've known him since I was in college. And I know this sounds like a very judgmental statement, but I have seen him seem more worried about the praise of men throughout his entire ministry. No, the verse says that we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. You see, I shine His light not so that they will come to me. I shine His light so that they will come to Him. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a conduit. I'm just a flashlight. Or mirror more, more realistically, right? Because I'm just to be reflecting His light. So let's move on to point number two. Doing as he commands. Verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Well, we could stop here all day, couldn't we? And talk about the love of Christ. 1 John four nineteen. We love him. What's the rest of the verse? Because he first loved us. Name some ways in which Christ demonstrated his love for us. He died on the cross of Calvary. He came. He left the glories of heaven behind to come to earth. He took the beatings, I heard. He allowed sinful men to beat him. I'll tell you what. I don't think there's a man here today that if somebody were to spit on you or to hit you in the head, that your natural reaction isn't one to come back swinging. They did both to him. Yanked his beard out. That had to hurt. What other ways did he demonstrate his love for us? He became part of his own creation. He became a man. Folks, let's not take lightly the love of Christ and how he demonstrated that love for us. And no wonder Paul says then in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge if one died for all, then we're all dead. The love of Christ constrains me. You know, we talked, was it last week, about some think that Christian liberty is a license to sin. You know what constrains me? The love of Christ. This is why it's important we never get over the love of Christ. We never get over Calvary. We never get over the fact that he stepped out of the glories of heaven to come to die for me. Because it's that love that constrains me and says, if he was willing to do that for me, how dare I do any less than my best for him? Why would I want to go against such love? Yet, as we are just talking about a few moments ago with the works of the flesh, so many Christians are trying to go against that love, trying to mix the occult and Christianity. How do we demonstrate our love? Verse 15 and chapter 14, go back just a chapter. He simply says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Parents, what's one of the ways that your children would demonstrate their love to you? By obeying you, right? Did you ever feel conflicted when your child would say with their lips, I love you, but they're sitting there not uh, doing a, a thing that you just told them to do? Did you ever feel a little bit conflicted by that? Like, you say it, but I'm really not seeing it? I hear what you're saying, but I really don't see it. How often must God feel the same way when you and I come to him, oh God, I love you so much. Thank you for all you've done, but then we live like the world. And I can only imagine the Father looking down saying, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not seeing it. You know the old saying, your walk walks and your talk talks, but your walk lou- talks louder than your talk talks? I even got that out right that time. In other words, what you're doing screams so loudly, I can't hear a word you say. It's one thing to say in our prayer, God, I love you. But it's another whole thing to live in our lives. God, I love you. And it ought to be demonstrated in our lives. It ought to be demonstrated in such a fashion that others don't have to ask. They can see it. And it's interesting, he says, if you obey me, you're my disciple. So part of the requirement of being a disciple of Christ is simply obeying and following him. I've heard so many... But you know, being a Christian is so boring. I have to give up. Boy, I don't know about you, but that just really bothers me. Give up. Give up wickedness. Give up sin. Give up the destruction that you're you're the path of destruction you're headed on. Give up the guilt. Give up the. I mean, wow. That yeah, that seems like something so bad that I want to give up, or so you know something that's so good that I want to hold on to. Whatever. You do realize God's commands are not to be grievous. They're not sitting, God's not some mean ogre sitting there thinking, How can I make their life miserable? I know, I'm going to come up with these rules. That's not what, that's not our God. I've been in churches that treat God that way. If you don't do this, God's going to be angry with you. If you don't do this, God's going to be mad at you. And you better be doing this and you better be doing that. Listen, I'm not saying. Don't do those things because we don't want to continue in sin that grace may abound, as Paul says. But I am glad that I have a loving God that when I do fail, He does not sit there and say, condemned! Zap! Gotcha! I was waiting for that moment. Ha 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 ha! That's how we treat God. I'm glad He's not that. Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil give you an expected end. I'll tell you what, as the Father looks down on this world today, as he looks at the condition of his church, as he looks down at the condition of the nations of this church, I believe instead of that the the heart of God is broken. I sent my son to die for you, and you're rejecting him. I have a way that's a way of peace, but you're rejecting the way of peace. Now, yes, God is a God of judgment, and His judgment will fall, but I'm glad that He is a long-suffering God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And right now, His arm of mercy is being extended. His arm of grace is being extended. But let me tell you something, if we continue on the path we're doing, we're going to end up seeing the judging hand of God. And it's not because it's what He desired, it's because we forced His hand to do so. And we need to get people to understand that. It was not God's desire to judge man. It was not God's desire for man to go to hell. He didn't create hell for man. You know who chose that? Adam did. And every one of us since then. Could you imagine before the foundations of the world were ever laid, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit determined the redemption of of this creation that they're about ready to create because they knew that man would sin against them. And God the Son said, Father, I'll go at the right time. I'll go. I'll give my life for them. Before he ever created us, he already had the plan. How can we not say that that's such a great love? It's something to get excited about. And when we think of that love, man... Why would I want to be anywhere else? Why wouldn't I want to feel at home there? Why wouldn't I want to continue there? But let me give you this point, point. we're going to have to close. His commands are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Didn't Jesus say, come unto me and take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Oh, there's work in Christianity. There's work in serving Christ. Yes, there's hardships. Yes, there's hard times. But let me tell you something. The joy of serving Christ far outweighs the pleasure of sin for a season and the destruction that comes with that and the guilt that comes with that. And many of this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Even though we know the Father has forgiven us of our past, and it's as far as the east is from the west, if we sit there and we start thinking about it, we can end up feeling guilty about those sins. But the great thing is, is I've been released from the guilt. I don't have to, but my, you know, I still look at the past and I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't wasted those years. I wish I hadn't wasted that time. I wish I hadn't done those things. But I am glad that he has forgiven me of it And I am glad that I no longer dwell in that, continuing to live a life of regret. There is a yoke. You know what a yoke's for? You put it on an animal to make it work. But you know what the beauty of it is? Jesus says, my yoke is light. You know why? Because guess who's in the yoke with me? And guess who's really doing the real work? I'm just kind of there for the ride, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) God's right there with me. Because does not Paul say in Corinthians, we're co laborers with God? Think of that. Who do you work for? I work for God. Christian, every one of us can say that. I work with God. Now, the world might look at you crazy, but those of us who understand that passage understand what you mean because I am a co laborer with God. But truthfully, here's the thing it's Him doing the work. I'm just yielding to Him. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm a vessel use me. But he only wants to use clean vessels. So I have the responsibility of keeping the vessel clean so he can use it. Really that simple, folks. We have more that Lord willing we'll cover next week about abiding and continuing in his love. But let's remember that we continue in his love by drawing near to him and by doing as he commands. And we didn't even finish that point, but we'll come back to it, Lord willing, next week. Let's close with a word of prayer.